not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my god, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we, can we all get along? Terror, horror, death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Hi everybody, the episodes are going to start in just a second. Just wanted to give you a heads up. It was such an interesting episode. My guess is Mandy Miller, the author and columnist from the Washington Post and the Daily Beast, and wrote the new book, Unwifeable, and we got so into such interesting subject matter we normally don't on this podcast, things from just the inner workings of psychological decisions and addiction all the way through um, what it's like to write a gospel column. All, it was just very interesting. I had read her book before I interviewed her, and so we dove deep on some things, and so it takes us quite a long time because I think it was just such a an engaging, worthwhile conversation that um, we didn't get to the news till about one hour and, f- and six minutes into the podcast, maybe an hour seven, if you count the theme song. So if you want to jump to just the news and Twitter answers, you can jump ahead to that point. But if you want a really interesting conversation, uh, then listen to the first hour. Wow. Lengthy, but I believe worth it. All right, the podcast starting right now. Brain Trust. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I don't know why I always say everybody like I'm from the dirty south or something. I find it to be fun. It amuses me. It seems colloquial. It makes me feel connected to you like we're friends and not like I'm, hello, this is, I'm not trying to be Edward R. Murrow. Okay. I don't know why I'm yelling. I don't know why I started with a nice colloquialism like friends and now I'm yelling at you. I don't mean to do any of that. I'd like to start off with three apologies. Those two. And then some um, – we'd like to put one in the bank for some point in this episode where I – listen, I haven't been sleeping great. Okay, I have not been sleeping great. I – as you know, I'm a crazy night owl going to bed every day at 5 and 6 a.m. Tried to reset it last night. Got in bed at 11 p.m. Wasn't falling asleep even though I was very sleep-deprived. Took an Ambien at 12.30. Should have reset. I wanted to wake up like a normal person at a normal hour. And instead, what did I do? I, I uh, stayed up through the Ambien haze. Instagram storied and ridiculous videos of me barely coherent. I have a new series on my Instagram grid. It's making the main grid called A Minute with Glebe where I was ambient out and uh, medium amount of likes, small to medium I'll say. I don't know why these experiments aren't working probably because I need to sleep and not be doing midnight drug experiments. Fell asleep at about 2.30, woke up a lot earlier than typically for me but that's not saying a lot. I woke, up, I woke up at like 11.30, maybe 11. I woke up at 11, I'd like to say, 11. And then all day after that, I read my guest book, and it is now 6.30 p.m. I read the entire day. Um, I've never really read a book to prepare for a guest. I haven't had a lot of authors on the podcast, and I was sent an advanced copy of the book, and it's incredible. This book is a memoir. It is so interesting. Um, my guest is a writer and columnist for many years for – publications like the New York Post, 
Exo Jane, now for the Daily Beast, which of course is the favorite site to reference of this podcast, and now an author of this wonderful book called Unwifeable. It has been called A New York Fairy Tale Brought to Life, Sex and the City on Acid, with Hysterical Insight, Unabashed Sexuality, my favorite kind of sexuality, and Unprecedented Levels of Raw, Honest Pain. It has been called Blisteringly Candid. When you get so candid that you, you get blisters from it. I mean, that's another level of candidness. Um, my guest is Mandy Statmiller. Hello. Hey. Thank you for coming. That, um, that is fun to hear the Simon and Schuster description mm-hmm. of, of the book. I wish that I had an actual acid story in the book. I don't think I've I have a single. Acid. Have you done acid? I've done it one and a half times. One and a half times? How does one do half time of well, acid? You know when you do a drug and you aren't totally sure it hit, mm-hmm. but then at a certain point you're falling into the wall and you're like, okay, I think it did right. hit. Right. That's how you do it half a time. Got it. So basically first, one time, one evening encounter. Yeah. The yeah. The one time I did it, it was the weekend that 400 old people in Chicago died, which is not a good time to be doing acid. Of acid? It would, no, that would be amazing. What did they die it of? Was, Weather? They died of... You know? It, it was the famous heat wave in Chicago in 97, 96, there was this heat wave that just killed and all. And were they just staying outside or they didn't have air conditioning in their house? Yeah, they were That's old and didn't want to leave. And then they just fried uh, in their hot box. Ooh. And I was tripping balls and ooh. also doing a Watching radio. Watching the news? I was doing a radio show at the time for Northwestern and was so I, – I wish I had a recording of that because – just my timing, the way I talked was so completely weird, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and just would, would have long silences and then say, well, let's go back to the music. You know what they say? Less talk, more rock. You, you did know? a radio wild tripping on that. Yeah. I don't know how you even were able to like get songs into the mix there <laughs> or get to the either. station. I don't know. How old either. were you when this happened? Um, I was, uh, it was 1995. So I was 20. 20 years old. Yeah. Live tweet along with us, by the way. Mandy's Twitter is at MandyStat, S-T-A-D-T, M-A-N-D-Y-S-T-A-D-T. Yes. Very German. Stat. Stat. Stat, right. But no, no, no. It's right. pronounced stat. It's pronounced. You okay. did it perfectly. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, Your book is very real and honest and raw. I mean, I know a lot about you now that I did not know this morning. And yet, people don't know it all. Yeah. All, the, all the guys that I didn't talk about in the book – they're just like, you know, they should just be writing me large checks. You talked about I, every, you talk about a I lot know. of people. What the, what the, was anybody pissed at you for writing about them in the book? Um, I think only, uh, only one person was concerned and he wasn't one of the more like famous ones. I think he was concerned. I kind of like, I showed everyone ahead of time. Um, because I just feel like that's, if you're writing about your right. freaking sex life, I know if someone was writing about me. But you showed them, what if they'd said, please don't print it, would you have not printed it? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was one guy who, uh, I think I had a sentence. It was like just a, a nothing thing. And, uh, the way that I started, I, I started sending out the sections basically saying, and just so you know, you know, I've, sh- I've showed this to, uh, uh, you know, Mark Marin, Aaron Sorkin, uh, Keith Olbermann, 
Donald Logue, like, you know, everyone's fine with it. What are people you've had sex with? What? Um, yeah, like right, 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 right. And, um, and those are all relationships you've had. Well, I mean, people. you know, like, think about women that you've like gone on a couple days. I mean, I do all the time. Yeah. Though, I mean, I think I, about them I, all the time. I don't even ask. I, I just think. I, I guess go. I just want to say, um, I think I probably fell into, you know, one of the many star fucking side piece journalist verticals mm-hmm. that they had going on. I would never deign to, uh, call. Yeah. You think a lot of I mean, of although these- like, like Sorkin, like I definitely like, you know, saw him for, you know, several years, but I know he had several other women that he was seeing. You think that a lot of these stars have several side piece journalists? They're oh no 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 no! I shouldn't have said. I just kinds. when I said when I said Starfucker, I, yeah. I, I as I was talking, I thought about the fact that I'm a journalist as well, right. and so that it was kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Although I mean, Sorkin had a whole thing with uh, Maureen Dowd, so he does. Maureen like, Dowd's hot. He does like them journalists. I find Maureen Dowd very sexy. Who doesn't? Yeah, she's very brainy, very sexy. Big fan. Yeah. She's not your typical. Are you single? You should. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm newly single. Why don't you reach out? Is to she Maureen single? Dow? Yeah. Maureen Dow. Well, I don't know. I think she is. Older woman. I'm not against it. <laughs> May I've December. I've done it before. May December. Yeah. I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, you referred to yourself in the book as a star fucker, former, former star fucker. Yeah. Not, I mean, not current. You're, you're married now. You found happiness. I'm a star marrier now. Yeah, now you're a star marrier. Pat Dixon, giant Comedy star. Central presents stand up yeah, yeah, special. Yeah. No, no. I mean, he's great. It just, I guess when I say Starfucker, I, I, it's one of those things where it's like get in front of the story. There's something about someone who thinks that there's any kind of worth or accomplishment derived from a famous person expressing interest. And I think that I definitely did have that as a part of my personality because I was just really excited to, when you, when you go from Chicago to New York or to LA, which is where I'd gone from. And and you're meeting time in San Diego with your your parents' house when you went back there. Right. Yeah. When you are suddenly exposed to all the people that you've been listening to and watching on your TV screen, it's very intoxicating. It is. It is. Yeah. That is true. It makes you feel like you've made it. I think that's true to a degree. We are a very star-obsessed culture for sure. And although being a journalist, especially, you know, a gossip columnist at times that you've been and a and a relationship and dating columnist, yeah. I would be very afraid to date you or even ho- especially hook up with you. I think everyone has a death wish. I did it only once. I, a mutual friend of ours. I dated Danielle Sepulveris, right? who's a friend of did ours. Did she write about you? Well, she ended up, yes, writing about me. Oh, okay. but, but I made a promise she would not write about me. Yeah. But then she did. Um, But she didn't use me by – mention me by name. But okay. definitely there were – I think it could have been easily linked and, and – and, and I just said it now. So anyway, it's my fault. Maybe it's more than that because I never so used, what, she never used my name. Wh- how did you feel when you read it? I'm curious. I was okay with one article. I felt it was pretty accurate. And then one I felt like was not very accurate at all. And I got pissed and I text, we had talked in a long time and I texted her and I was pissed about it. And she claimed that her record of it was correct and that mine wasn't. So we were just were at loggerheads on that and we didn't talk for a long time after that, but we made peace. Good. After yeah. that. 
It was like a whole LA Times thing, a whole LA Times article. Oh, I need to I need to get with it. I don't I don't know what's going on in the world. That's that's exactly <laughs> Well, that was not national news. It was not national well, news. Well, that's but you have to understand, that's what I live for. I live for these little niche rabbit holes mm-hmm. that can take you out of all of your own mistakes and drama and then just imagine all of the messiness that that entailed. It's just I I love that I love little internet mm-hmm. uh, feuding rabbit hole type things like that. Well, if you like that kind of stuff, you'll love Mandy's book. If you're listening <laughs> like that, because it is full of these rabbit holes it of is like full of rabbit holes. I'm just gonna read you some some highlights of things that she covers in this book. <laughs> A love triangle when she was dating Keith Olbermann, Aaron Sorkin, and Lloyd Grove at the same exact time, and played them against each other to try to make them each like her more. That was very deftly and use those, learn those moves from like books like the game basically, right? And the pickup yeah, artist. The, the, the game and, uh. I didn't know women could use those books. I thought it was just men that could use those well, books. Well, you know what one I was really into at that time was The Art of Seduction. Right. By the same guy who wrote 48 Laws of Power. I've never read any of these books, but what are some of the, some, some of your most effective tricks <laughs> for making someone like you? Well, I never did this, but the one that always mm-hmm. comes top of mind is that if you suspect a man has a mommy complex. Oh, I saw this in your book. To dab milk on your on breast. Your right. Because he might subconsciously go to a regressive state. But that's once you're hooking up. They're not going to smell the milk like through your no, shirt, right? I have no idea. I mean, um, a lot of it, I think, comes down to creating exciting power dynamics and uh-huh. making someone feel complicit uh, that it's you against the world uh, with the other person. And that's where kind of the love triangle things come into play. Yeah. And I mean, it was just so stupid. It's the only time I've done it in my life. And it was a very, you know, I mean, Keith Olbermann, I went on like three dates. It wasn't like some long Lloyd. I dated really seriously. He's a great editor columnist for the daily beast, really smart guy. Uh, and then Sork and I saw on and off, for years. Does but, Keith um, Oberman rant at length in his private life as well? He, I mean, I think. Speaks in very lofty terms. I, I, I'm one of those people who I just, I love intelligence. So even if someone has a little bit of a cartoonish personality, which mm-hmm. I think I do too, I would be very easy to caricature. If you're someone who's just passionate about the news and you know, I don't really mind. I, I'm, I'm just that that's a really fun energy to be around someone who's just a scholar on baseball or the news. And even if they like to hear themselves right talk a little bit, you know, but here's something I, 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 I will say, I will say I, I introduced him to someone else and they went on a date and something that cracked me up was that, he took her to the same restaurant that he took me to for oysters. And I thought that was like pretty sweet. Just that he had the, that move, the game plan. And yeah. also oysters both times because of their aphrodisiac nature. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I do like an oyster, but it does it, does it have that effect on you though? I really don't know. I mean, I think I'm ready to go anytime. So yeah. it's hard for me to gauge. It's like when I went vegan, people are like, did you feel different? No, I always feel good. I was just trying to lose weight. I always have energy. I always yeah. am, am down for the, for the, you know, for the, for the, for the, for the, you understand my point. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, there's a lot of drugs that 
I never did and I kind of wish I would have before getting sober because I have no idea what ecstasy or mushrooms are like. Okay, that's bananas. Right? I, and I have a I have a question not to shift it off of no, such an no, exciting please. topic. Yeah, but one yeah, thing yeah. about Keith Olbermann, I always wonder. I don't know if you ever asked him this, but I've always been curious. When he was doing his MSNBC show and he started signing off every episode by saying "Good night and good luck," yeah. why did he steal Edward R. Murrow's closing line? It's what a strange thing to me. It was so so cocky and weird. It's like I'm. He's like saying I'm him. I'm as good great a journalist as him. Well, I think that he probably no. I never. Asked him, had the discussion. Yeah. I mean, I never even watched him. One time when we were talking about when to get dinner, I suggested a time when he was on the air and I could tell he was very annoyed. Yeah. He was like, (laughs) I obviously could not, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I think that. The mere indication that I would be available for a romantic encounter while currently ranting about our administration is exactly the lack of foresight that we are suffering from as a nation. I've never tried to keep up my impression. I have a feeling you guys would like each other. That's very good (laughs) because that's done. It's a loving impression. Of course. Yeah. He's a very passionate man. Yeah. Very passionate. Yeah. I I like that for sure. Other highlights in the book. Uh, You dated Moby and his romantic move was sniffing your neck. Yeah, that was weird. I've never I something think I've never you ne- something someone's. you never forget. Did it? Was it? He's a past podcast guest buddy of mine. I didn't know that was a move. Did he follow it up by kissing her neck? And by the way, just- when I sent him the selection, he was like, "Ha, huh, it's great," or something. So right. that's a dude who's that's a cool able to just laugh at himself. Yeah, yeah he's just angry. Somebody's eating a, eating a burger nearby, and he couldn't focus on <laughs> giving you notes on your passage. <laughs> I get that. Well, I think that everyone seeks to have that thing that makes them stand out in dating because think about all of the dates you've been on and most yeah. of them run together, but you don't forget the girl who vomits in her soup or – Well, no, you don't who, forget that. Don't I mean that's a, a bad date. date that's but a like, very bad I'm trying date. to think of something that would be good. Who who says, before I give a blowjob, I like to eat an Altoid and you're like, oh, oh or, or you keep Altoids whole... in your mouth is another one that people do. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's I think the cla- – I think that's actual an actual Cosmo sex advice sure. move. Or yeah. ice in the mouth I've heard of. Oh, and then there's the grapefruit one. What's that one? That sounds I remember that was a big video for a while where they showed – just Google grapefruit sex challenge. What did you do with it? I am trying to remember. It's like a dick and a grapefruit. No, it's too citrusy it seems. I I know, but I just – it was good video footage at the time. I've never never done it. It Sounds terrible. Ecstasy and the grapefruit. Dick challenge. I've sure. Never done them well, yet. I'm proud of you for half of that. I have a <laughs> a uh, standard sex move that I use. Yeah. It's just like being incredible in bed. That's really my main thing. I want to like stay out in That's memory a classic. that way. It's a classic yeah. move. Yeah. People yeah. don't forget it. And you got to do the humble brag too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry if this is going to ruin sex for you with everyone else. No, I go further than that. I say, I'm sorry that was not my best. And then they're like, that wasn't the best? Again, single again at Ben Glebe on Twitter. So how long were you dating your last girlfriend? Uh, 14 months. Oh, that's really – well, I'm sorry. Long. That's uh, That's intense. Yeah. It was a pretty long time. Um, Did she, you dump her? We're going to move on. Um, no, it was a mutual <laughs> – it was a mutual situation. It was – I know what it was. It was an ultimatum, wasn't it? Because you're around that age where the women that you're <laughs> dating have 12 no, months. It was not an ultimatum. No. 
It was just we were trying to move toward – I was trying, hoping to move towards a, a thing. Okay. And I don't think we were in the right place. Gotcha. She was in the right place of life for us to be matched up on it. And gotcha. There were things that I wanted that she didn't want or wasn't ready for, I think. And that's – It was Maureen Dowd, wasn't it? No, it will be Maureen Dowd. I want to give her the best next 14 months of my life. <laughs> I guarantee you that. Last question Read, because yeah, I don't mean to please, hijack, no, but please. what's your longest uh, relationship? Year and a half. Okay. So those are so you're are not too a longest. psychopath. I mean, no, when you meet a, when you meet a man whose longest relationship is two months, yeah, no, that's no good. Be careful. This was my longest contiguous one. The year and a half was a year, and then six months of on and off. This was fourteen months straight, and then I had a thirteen monther straight, and then other than that, it's a bunch of six and seven monthers. Hmm. I'm not a psychopath. No, not at all. That's what's your mean? longest before Pat? Uh, ten years. Whoa, shit. Yeah. So you just you're, you don't. That, mind, that's why I kind of. Mind that's why. I, but you're married before. Yeah. That was yeah. The, that that's was the, tenure? the tenure. Yeah, it was five Ugh. years married and five years dating. During the five years preceding the marriage, I was working at newspapers and doing newspaper internships. So I used to continuously update the percentage of time that we were in the same city. And it was this ridiculous Low number. Amount. Yeah, yeah. Where I was at the Des Moines Register. I was at the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. I was at the Village Voice. I was at the Washington Post. And so, but I just, I wanted to cling to that because I don't know. I was just very needy. I'm still pretty needy, but. Well, I, mean, I imagine that a lot of marriages that end in divorce last so much longer than they're supposed to just because of the time served. You're like, I can't, I, I'm going to give up on 10 years. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it, it's kind of like this big storyline that you are continuously just invested in yeah. where in order to justify all the bullshit and all the fights and all the screaming and throwing, you're like, but we have this legendary love. Mm-hmm. We have we to all be think willing- our love is legendary and they rarely are. Well, I mean, Sadly. all of mine are, but I understand for other people, it is not that way. We're fine. You just kicked the cable that could have messed up the video recording, but it didn't. I don't think anything Shit. moved. I'm looking and I have a No, no, we're good. We're good. We're, we're good. we're good. We're good. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, I have long ass legs and I You do. You're I very tall. You're six foot two. Yeah. Says that in your book a couple of times. Yeah. Well, so I read the first chapter aloud to Michael Malice who would be a fun guest for you because he's very conservative and I love having conservatives on. You guys would have a fun debate. He And we will get to the news he, of the week soon. He is he is quite uh short and I think he's I don't know how tall he is, but he's he's noticeable. I mean he talks about it. And so when I was reading him the first portion of the book and I'm talking about standing outside of uh, News Corp He's like, you have to say your height. That's the first thing anyone sees or thinks about you. So that's kind of why I emphasized it. Sure. No, it's, it did paint a good picture. I yeah. didn't even remember that because I did your podcast. Many yeah, years I was ago. sitting down. News whore. You were sitting down mostly. Yeah. You're yeah. still doing your podcast? I haven't recorded it in a year because I've been writing this freaking book. Well, but if it gives you any no hope. Excuse, no excuse. I need to go back. I took two extended breaks on this podcast. You a, did. A seven month and an eight month break. With only three months in between where I did it. So I took almost a year and a half break and I'm back stronger than ever. Sometimes you just have to revitalize. Phases in life. I get yeah, that. Look at yeah. Roseanne. She came back now after 21 Eight, years off the air. 18 million viewers. Actually, it was 25 million after oh, really? they counted the, the whole, whole first week's DVR. I really liked 
the show. I loved it. But yeah, I just, it reminded me what it was like to watch TV before everything was politicized. Even though her show was also politicized. Of course, of course, of course. What do you think? Do you you think the Reagans are going to stick? They already got a season two. I watched week two and it was a much weaker episode, I thought, than the premiere. Okay. I I think that the ratings are obviously not going to be that level, but I think it is the only thing outside of Queer Eye on television that paints Trump supporters as being human 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 beings Mm -hmm. whatsoever. And I imagine that for anyone in the Midwest, in the South, anywhere who is, when you watch again and again the punchline being that you are – a moron garbage right. person right. Nazi that you might be super excited about mm-hmm. a show that has an openness that you're not. So that's, I mean, it's an interesting and also contrasting that with, I mean, not to just parrot Trump's Twitter, but contrasting it with the Oscar ratings was interesting. What were the Oscar ratings? Just the lowest that right. they've ever been. Right. And it was, well, it is really ridiculous. The Oscars, they, Remember they expanded to 10 movies for best picture and the, the, the stated goal of that was they could include more movies that people actually see. Mm. And they didn't. Now it's just 10 art house movies. <laughs> There's no blockbusters in it whatsoever. I didn't see any. I used, I used to get really pumped about doing the Oscar fever. I'm going to watch uh-huh. everything. And this year I didn't watch any of them. I tried this year. I watched a few of them, but most movies aren't that good. It's harder for them to compete with TV. It's a much more inspired project when there's like a whole multiple years of your life on the line, I feel like. I just did Jackie Cation's podcast. Love her dork forest. And I talked about how I just watched all 15 seasons of ER front to back since they've been released That's on the Hulu. choice you made? <laughs> yes. So weird. Like I still want to watch The Wire and The West Wing, but ER? I have watched The Wire and The West Wing. Oh. See, I work from home and I – to create the distraction of the newsroom where you have the constant little jokey joke aside that – gives you a reason to live i binge watch shows in the background and so i've seen it's ridiculous the amount of tv i see i don't now. know how you can watch a show in the background i can't watch something even the news if i'm not 100 percent focused i'll pause i just don't feel like i get any of it do you feel like you've watched a show really if it's in the background while you're working on something yes because well i shouldn't say yes i should say 69 percent yes i'm sure that if you were to quiz me right now on certain lost subplots and characters i would fail but i also feel like i've enjoyed lost now and experienced it and there's so much of my work that involves half brainless type marketing cutting pasting mm-hmm. organizing well, calendar on that. that's beautiful that <laughs> <laughs> i have all the brainless work mm-hmm. uh, thank you i appreciate that that's good work if you can get it for sure well don't you think i mean like is everything that you do just creating when i'm really in the zone i pause i stop i that's kind of it's kind of my reward it's my little mental trick so that it doesn't feel like i'm working Interesting. No, I like when I'm working, I like to work. And then when I relax, I like to fully immerse in it. I know. I think it's a me thing. I'm, I, Fair I enough. don't know anyone else who does that. So since you brought it up, you probably didn't. But Mark Marin, as a lover, <laughs> explain. Nice. Good job. Go team. <laughs> yeah. Hannibal Burris, you also hooked up with. 
Yeah, I didn't. That was very, that was just like making out a couple of times. And you one time angrily yelled at him while drunk at a bar. You said, I know people who are more famous than you. Well, so what was was the thought in your head at this time? Well, I thought it was, I thought I was being really funny, which is a big mistake that I make a lot. (laughs) I mean, I don't get that particular joke, but. It's not a joke. Right. It's just, you, you know how when you get really drunk, you are having a conversation in your head that the other person might not be. That's I notice true. this now when I hang out with super drunk people, mm-hmm. which happens all the time. It's, That's true. They feel karma. like you're on their page big time and you are not. Well, you notice that they repeat things five or six times. Yeah, love to And repeat. you're like, I got it the first time. It's like my dad's sober. Like, why do drunk people repeat so much? <laughs> well, so w- with Hannibal, it was I knew him when he was just – open micing and i was just in terms of you know everything is status right so i was super high status i had a job at the post he was just a young kid and when he got siren out live i in my drunk brain thought he was not as good a friend and so i think i went up to him and he was talking to some chick and I was just like, I haven't heard from you since you got Sarnet Live. You know, don't think you're such hot shit. I know more famous people than you. And I think he just looked at me like, I want people thinking I hang out with crazy bitches. I get that. Yeah. I don't and, want people thinking that about me either. Yeah. and Even though at times it's true. <laughs> it is true. It is true. So – yeah, I just uh realized that things that I think are wildly funny when I'm blackout plastered mm. and having to be carried out of scores or whatever, <laughs> I uh are maybe not as enjoyable for the other people involved. So that's, interesting. That's the takeaway. I like that. All right. But I reconciled with him and uh he's still way more, you know, he's busy just being wildly successful Hannibal Buress, but I I I think he's fantastic, you know. Yeah, he's great. He yeah. he's at such baller status now that I did a show with him recently where I went first for thirty minutes in a big theater the Orpheum Theater in LA. Oh, cool. And then I was like, should I bring you up? And he's like, nah, I have a DJ and a video. Yeah, <laughs> he had a DJ yeah, and yeah, like yeah. a highlight reel of his career, right. which inspired me. I, ne- I need to get around to it, but edited my own highlight reel to play before I go on stage. Cause like, all respect to Hannibal's great career. The, it was not a very impressive reel. It was like a couple clips of Eric Andre, him on Conan, and like, that was it. Yeah. And I've got like weird fucking footage of me fucking with the president, swimming underwater with dolphins and all kinds of <laughs> TV appearances. So I'm like, I might do the same. Yeah. Although I don't know if a white comic could pull it off. I think you could. You think so? Yeah, yeah. I remember Appreciate when that. Artie Lang did Carnegie Hall, half the show was him playing highlights and it was very – I think he was using at the time. But Did that work well? That doesn't the, sound like it would have worked well. It just seemed – I mean he was he was solid but it was just a weird I, – I have a feeling that people were a little bit – irritated like i'm sitting here at carnegie watching right i yeah. can watch youtube at home yeah i get that yeah i would just do a quick one before the show that's all but i that's interesting because yeah i saw him at a uh, knitting factory he's like i'm all right man i uh, got a dj man and uh, <laughs> won't play a video 
You know what I mean? Some play a video. He's I didn't know the you most such- lethargic speaker I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's very uh he's very refreshing because he's just a hundred percent himself always versus putting on a I, I think sometimes when you, when you hang out with comics who are always on and have that false hyped up energy. True. It just makes you want to kill yourself. True. But sometimes Hannibal makes you feel like you're just not welcome in the room. Like I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And I went into his green room and say hi. He's like, Hey man. Have I'm you like, tr- how are you? He's like, good. You good. All right. And I'm like, Oh, should I leave? All right. I can, you know, making any attempt to have a conversation. Have you tried telling him that you know more famous people? Oh, I said that right because in his fucking yeah. face. I got drunk immediately and I was like, <laughs> I know. People, I'm a, Bill Cosby's more famous than you. And he, I, that was not the one to bring up. Oh boy. That was not the one to bring up. Something just happened with that trial today. They're bringing in someone to talk about, anyway, whatever. It's not Six important. Six accusers are going to be able to, to testify. I really hope Cosby goes down hardcore. Yeah. No, I just, I was listening to, I listened to the New York Times on Audible and there was some little recap story. That's the thing you can hear. A newspaper and Audible? Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's really a good way to... I would plug Audible right now, but they don't pay me, so suck it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. And my book, Unwifeable, is on Audible. I, I, I narrated it myself, and at the very end, there's a little special bonus track of me and my husband, Pat Dixon, talking about how he felt about me describing what a feral whore I was for so long. So, and How do you summarize him describing or his feelings? That he's fucked a lot of people too, and he likes me for who I am. And we also, you know what's funny, I will say though, is that sometimes people think that because I've written about wild and crazy things in my past, they think like we're these big swingers or some shit or, you know, that we're just like always crossing boundaries. And we have the most, we know how easy it is for that to happen. So, uh, even though both of us have been total dirtbags in our past, like we're very careful about keeping our dirtbagism in Between check. The two of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you did say in the book you encourage in a rela- in a happy relationship for the dirty talk to go as extreme as possible. Yeah, I think that people believe they have to reserve that for some Tinder date where oh, they're going to murder thing. the other person right, after. Right. And you can do that anytime if the two of you have the understanding that it's just like fun yeah. play. You know? Dirty talk is not just for murderers anymore. That's, it's really not. That's an and that's, that's the name of my sequel. So, I like that a yeah, lot. yeah. That's beautiful. No, that's a joke from my Showtime special. I say, like, it's <laughs> insane how people shift in a moment's notice. I guess I'll add, add to it in a healthy relationship oh, from yeah. being loving and sweet to being so filthy. Literally, people are like, Babe, I'm with you because I love you, because you're a lovely angel, you whore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's human nature for people to be – it's why we see horror movies, right? And mm-hmm. dirty talk in bed is like a horror movie. No, yeah. it, it's just – but it, it's exciting because it reminds you of just – It's danger it, without danger. It's it's stakes. Yeah, you know, it's the same the reason that you yeah. – Actors choose high stakes so a scene is engaging to watch. Right. And life should have the full range of experience. Exactly. So if you get to do that without having to actually risk your life or or fuck a murderer, yeah. I say more Although, power to I don't know how you do it as a man today because it's, if yeah, I was a, a man, scary. I would have not only 
three lawyers present, mm-hmm. I would uh, videotape the entire thing and um, get consent before you yeah. even ask if the person wants to have sex, which is not to. I'm 100% a feminist. I think Me Too is a wonderful movement. But I also have always had a lot of empathy for men and just that they have their own shit too, you know? Yeah, it's a very scary I just, place I can't imagine. Sure. Yeah, yeah because, I just can't imagine. Yeah, just the general premise of men are still tasked with being the initiators sexually in our society. Of course, and you watch, so, you watch in, the, oh, sorry. No, go please. Ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, just, I mean, Pat and I were just talking about this, how you watch in the morning on a talk show about how consent is sexy. Why don't people, you know, always, just I don't under I don't understand anyone who does not believe in aggressive affirmative triple consent. And then in the evening you watch The Bachelor and a woman is rejecting a man because he asked for permission before he kissed her. Right. And I mean, what kind of a fucking mind fuck moving the goalpost constantly? Totally. Type thing is that? And nobody asks for permission to kiss somebody. I literally in my life have asked. Two times, and both times I asked, the person said no. It's so not sexy to ask permission to kiss somebody. Well, and the other thing is – You just have to read the moment. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 reading the moment. But inherently, that, occasionally you're going to misread. Yeah. And so if you misread, as long as you're not aggressive about the misread, the person's like, whoa, no. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. I think you should be fine. But it definitely is – You know, there's a bit of blurred lines around it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I I guess I I I hate extremism in all forms. Same. And I think that sometimes Except in dirty talk, then go for it. <laughs> in dirty talk, absolutely. Yeah, just I play uh, a radical Islamic extremist in dirty talk. That's how into extreme <laughs> dirty talk I am. I call for jihad. It's very intense. That's great. That's great. You're very curb your enthusiasm in terms of the mm-hmm. yeah, ramping up the mm-hmm. political excitement. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Smart. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who has written and is still writing about your personal life, yeah. about people with their names that you've been yes. with, what made you decide to do that and be comfortable with that? Does it is that a, something I really wondered reading your book? I loved it. It's really beautifully written and so oh, vividly it brings you into your life and you see your vulnerability so strongly. But I guess my question was like, how do you reconcile that with the aggressiveness of calling people out about personal things that they did not want out there? Well, I would say that I, anyone who wasn't a public figure, I changed their name. I, anyone who I was writing about who was a public figure, I showed it to them in advance Except for David Cross and Andy Dick, because David Cross, I I think I asked Pat to forward it to Gavin McGinnis, who's friends with, you know, but I also had written about that before in the post, and it was an encounter that was just me 100%. You just being being weird, right? Yeah, me just being drunk and fucking weird. Him being like, get get out of my apartment, you psycho. You announced how excited you were that you had your period for the first time in six months, and it was very confusing for everybody. Right? Yeah. Who says that? Yeah. I just. I was surprised he was still there when you got to the bathroom <laughs> in that story. I was surprised he didn't have the authorities in. The, oh my god! But, I think, but he, I mean, I think in, he thought I was going to just start smearing the walls with oh, menstrual geez. blood or some that shit. Happened to me one time, by the way. What? Like, not no. Overtly, yeah. Like I don't know for sure if it was a girl that I had dated, I had dated and broken up with, but like 
weeks after a relationship ended, and I don't know if it was a random person or I literally saw a very faint handprint of blood on my bathroom wall in my old apartment. That's terrifying. It was really terrifying. That's very chilling. Scary. That's more chilling than any black mirror that's ever been filmed. Okay, I'm going to write this then. Yeah. But so, so, but even just the job of being, you know, a gossip columnist, you're talking the book yeah. about when you were writing for the New York Post and you'd have to do hit pieces on people. Yeah, yeah. See, I don't have the stomach for it. I mean, I would be. Well, you did it for a long time. Uh, yeah, I did. But I, I even, I mean, I have a, I was emailing with, um, the lovely Gail King because one of the final pieces I wrote for the post was the angle that I was given was essentially write about how Gail is happy to not be Oprah's sidekick anymore and that she's coming out of the shadows. And Gail is so smart that when I met her, the first thing she did was tell me a story about some scumbag journalist who misrepresented things. And it was just this immediate, like, dick on the table move of just like, we're going to. Gail King be... calls journalists scumbags. No, no, no. no I'm but kidding. just, uh, I mean, I forget it, but it's the kind of thing where when someone uh, quickly shifts the dynamic mm. to show that they know way more about everything than you do and you're not going to trap them with your little gotcha quotes where you try and hang someone by their own words. I mean, I think probably the most flack I ever got was for writing, was for going undercover with the first male gigolo uh, because they weren't allowing press because he came across like such a dipshit and so I just kind of posed as an excited sex tourist. And when there was a hit piece done on me in The Observer, they talked about, you know, everyone in media being just horrified that I had done this to this um, uh, former uh, vet. And uh, and meanwhile, like I – in writing this book, I researched and I went down a rabbit hole and I looked at his Facebook from the time – and he was thrilled at all the press. He's like, it's okay if they're right. laughing at me, right. you know. Uh, but I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm trying to think of like when I've slept with people and written about them. I think I've been pretty, pretty good about not crossing lines that would be something that at Northwestern Journalism School, I would just be thrown out entirely. I, I try to maintain for me, the personal ethical code of sure. just not being a total dirtbag. But then taking it away from the individual people's Yeah, names, yeah, yeah. The thing that, that I'm also curious about is just in general writing about your own life, your own sex life, your own dates, your own fail failures and failed romances. But I guess mm -hmm. my question is like mm -hmm. does it ever – and I think you touched on it briefly in the book. But like does it ever feel like you're – since like you're kind of you know using, using your own life or just about your own life like oh, you, yeah. you're not lit, lit at some point does the line become blurred like are you certain you're dating this person or seeing this person because you are or because you're trying to generate stories and you can't wait to write about it oh the line is completely blurred right. i mean i like i dated so i dated a you know man for 2 years because on paper he was mr big and i thought it was my job as a you know, low rent Carrie Bradshaw to find the best I could, you know, in terms of a Chris Noth esque character or whatever. 
And that guy wasn't right for me at all, but on paper, it looked just like that was what I was supposed to, to do. And you start following this storyline that is, it, it's almost like you're a jaded Hollywood development executive that's, that's just barking orders and saying, now go to the Hamptons, have a, have a wacky moment rather than thinking, how do I feel about any of this? And that's why you bottom out and that's why you do become, you know, a crazy coked up sex addict who's just being a maniac. So, so how did you find those lines that you, to move away from that persona? How well, did so you, how did I, you end up developing the boundaries? How did I develop the boundaries? I thought about what I, like when I, when I first went to a sex and love addicts anonymous meeting, which was humiliating for me because saying I was an alcoholic was, you know, that's trendy. That's half of, uh, the most creative people in the world do. And sure. I don't think anyone ever and thought of those meetings and, and hook up at those meetings. Too. Yeah. 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 Um, and anyone who knew me didn't think I was stashing a bottle of vodka in my desk at, at work, but saying I was a sex and love addict was like saying I was part of tall blondes anonymous. It just, it hit too mm-hmm. close. It was humiliating. That and was what and you what think a, the real problem was. Well, I, yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of it doesn't even have to do just that I'm just some like crazy nympho. I mean, I'm not by any means. A lot of it is the, is the love part where it's just super codependent deriving any worth that you have as a person through a man's approval and his desire to want to fuck you and just that desire to, it, if you have any kind of like a people pleasing quality about you and it expresses itself in that way, it's a very, it's a very dangerous trap because if you have a lot of parts of yourself that you loathe and haven't been able to reconcile, it's so much easier to just try and please a dude. And so I think that I had to learn to be, I mean, it's so stupid and cheesy, but you have to love yourself. Well, you, you have to love yourself and that's the big twist in the book. No, but you have, you have to not have being locked down as the goal. And I, until I was, until I was, I would say 38, everything was about that I needed to get married a second time to show all those guys that they were morons. For not snatching this up. All externally defined. Yeah, all externally defined carrots of validation. Mm -hmm. And I just then at a certain point, I was just like, I'm old as fuck. I'm never getting married (laughs) again. Well, do you know what I mean? In New York, that's all you're told. You're always told about these windows of opportunity. And that if you haven't gotten it locked down by 35, have fun on J-Date with the you know, twice divorced uh, doctor who strings you along for seven months because that's your life now. It's a subway mentality in New York. If yes. you can catch that train, it's gone. Yes, yes. And so when I 
was hired by a dating website to do like a whole stunt thing where it was me filming my dates and getting myself out there and plugging the website. I didn't expect anything to go. I stopped doing what I had done my entire life, which was in the first 10 minutes of meeting a smart, cute, funny guy, I projected 10 years into the future as to how we would take over the world as a power couple and that I would be this celebrated wife and mother and on the arm of this person. I mean, I just, women, I mean, I'm sure men do that as well, but I've talked about it a lot more with women where you just project onto, and who can survive that? A man can't, and that's, and that's why, like, a friend of mine have a joke, uh, that both of us were so successful in our work life because we're so intense. You know, we don't, I mean, I emailed you, I think six times within the span of like 20 minutes about booking this. That's just how, but a lot of times it gets things done, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't quite work in relationships. Mm -hmm. It's like a little delicate flower that you're spraying with a fucking fire hose saying grow motherfucker. Yeah. Although I wish girls were a little bit more on that side of it. Really? A little bit more. Okay. That's interesting. Minutes, but I, yeah, I'm not a fan of the like, Playing it real cool game. Yeah. I, I have to play it sometimes myself and it goes against my instinct of like wanting to express my emotions and say that I'm into somebody if I am. But yeah. you, have to, you have to play it I guess sometimes. I have a last personal question. Then we will launch into the news. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you make it work with a Trump supporter? Well, I have seen parts of the left that I did not know existed before as a result of my husband supporting Trump because I never have had people before tell me how to live my personal life. And in, in a way where it was just leave your job, divorce your husband. And I really, it, it was a side of the left that I really didn't like. And I think I just am so, strongly contrarian as many people drawn to comedy are that when someone tells me you can't do this, it makes me start asking questions as to why there isn't even uh, room. And I just, I completely respect and understand people who are participating in the hyper call out culture of if you support this, then you are, you know, this. But for me, I, I just, I don't, to me, I, I feel like it is a very bizarre fulfillment of the whole Russia thing. The whole thing was just so division and no one ever talks about how some of the most extreme players on the left are just doing that all the time, which isn't to say that, you know, the intentions aren't noble and good as accomplished. But to me, I just, I've, I've never liked, um, kind of test tube idealism sure. in the real world. I think the world's a lot more gray than yeah. both sides acknowledge it to be. Yeah. And so that's, that's, uh, that's Why how leave it- your job. Is the daily beast considered a right leaning site? Oh no. I was trying to think of, um, 
No, Daily Beast is very, very. I you mean, said people said leave your relationship. Leave oh your job. no, I was, I was just, um, I was just meaning. Uh, I, I guess I was just trying to draw it out to other examples of people telling me things I should do. But personally, uh, I'm curious yeah. though, how do you reconcile the political differences with somebody that you love? Well, so I, it would, it would be like a trade-off where I would say you have to watch this video of. All these women coming out and saying that Trump is a serial sexual harasser and tell me how you could reconcile that. And then he would say, you have to watch this Trey Gowdy interview with Clinton about Benghazi. It was kind of this back and forth dialogue and trading of viewpoints that I've come to appreciate, especially just in the powder keg environment that we live in now culturally we need that for sure more yeah. conversations and listening to the other side but i'm curious how does he reconcile well, so, that? So, what's the reason he does support trump in the end oh i mean he uh, gosh i mean you would you would have to ask him but he i know supports i mean i i, I think a lot of his, I, I think that he has gone through each of the different um he's gone through each of the different uh sexual harassment accusations and you know shown why it was uh debunked or it didn't you know the case was dropped and things like that so in terms of in terms of that and i think that even he's he's a very uh linguistical kind of um, which I don't think that's a word, mm -hmm. which is a tragedy that I just Perfect said. Perfect word. Linguistical. Linguistical. He's, he's someone who's a fan of linguistics. I'll sure. say that. That works. And so linguistic. he, so he parses a lot of times coverage and the way things get taken out of context. Uh, and so justification, if you ask me on that. Plus, just I, I guess I, I'm more even concerned. Yeah, about yeah. The, the, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, like, how about when he's like sympathizing with Nazis? How about when he's? Yeah. See, I, I mean, I'm actually. I, I mean, I would say that I agree with him. I mean, I watched all of those. I, I, I read the way the news is reported, and then I watch the source material. And to me, I, you know, I looked and I saw some of the people who were just the. Uh, Southern Confederate his, historical preservationists who were in Charlottesville who weren't, you know, these just reprehensible individuals. And so, and I also saw him, I mean, there's some, there's some video that is Trump. Uh, it, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a, a clip that is all the times He's condemned over and over again, but it's never, it's it's never enough, and it's always. I, I just think that, I just think there's dishonesty on both sides. His condemnations always come after many days of people forcing him to condemn and saying, "You've been now four days. You've three times said there's very fine people on both sides. Maybe you should denounce Nazis at this point." And they force him into that. So you can put a string together of the times he denounced, but every time was after people are like, "You're going to create." revolution in the country if you don't go to the other yeah, side see, and, and, and begrudgingly I, does it. And I think there's a little bit of um uh can't win no matter what dishonesty to that because there's almost this desire to be uh 
to have him fulfill his uh, villainous role because you can then point out what was done uh, wrong about the situation. And I feel like that lens of reporting, I mean, even uh, Bob Woodward recently spoke out about just some of the bias in the media. I in think terms there is of, some of that. Yeah. I yeah. think there is some of that for sure, but still. And to me, I think that's, man's- I think that's a projection of what uh, an individual mental state is to say, Oh, this is what happened where he said, but I love the Nazis. And I mean, all of those things are, none of that happened. That's a narrative that is put out there. I mean, if that happened, I, I mean, wow. But you if know? your instinct is not to condemn alt-right racism, that's a giant problem for the president. Well, I, I guess, and um, against the, the, the pleas of your whole staff, you're like, yeah, 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 got it. Go out there. There's very fine people on both sides. The move you make is you go out there with a very wonderful, embracing statement that makes people feel like at least our moral leadership's on the right track. You don't go out right, there and spitball right. and try to be on, oh, you know, I don't know. I think both sides. No, it's, this is a racist rally. Right, with pitch, right. With, with torches saying, yeah. Saying Jews will not, you know, enslave us and say and replace running us, o- yeah. replace us and, and yeah, well, I running mean, over I black mean, people to I mean, kill them. I mean, it's not. Uh, it's yeah. not time to say. Look, I'm sure there's very fine people on both sides. Right. That's not the headline here, Mr. President. Yeah, and and and, and to take a week before you acknowledge that. Yeah. No. And I. Uh, he's feet. He's. It's. It seems to me clear as day. He's giving red meat. And winking and dog whistling at, at racists, saying that now is your time to do more of that. Yeah, you and I mean, I think that. I think that's uh, I think that's uh, an excellent uh, argument, and I think that's why people detest Trump. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm I, I guess to me, I don't. Uh, I mean, I don't categorize anyone who supports Trump, and that's you know, some of the people I've gotten to like, I've been just the caricature of the woman who wants to make sure that someone is a good person, you know? And so I have talked to uh, Trump supporters of all, you know, across the board uh, to make sure that, um, you know, that there was a reason that he appeals to people and that it's not just, I mean, if it was all just like dog whistling to, uh, white supremacists. I mean, that's disgusting. You know, that would be like Hitler. But I think the fact that, um, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the people I've talked to who, you know, like, um, I haven't talked to her, but one of the more powerful essays that I read was, um, but from an academic professor who voted for Trump, even though she didn't like a lot of things about him. And she saw, she saw, you know, um, him as like playing the game to appeal to certain, you know, really reprehensible parts of, uh, it's going to be the new deplorable reprehensible. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, factions, uh, but that, that one of the greatest, uh, threats was, uh, extremist, um, radical, uh, Islam. And she was, you know, a Scott and she didn't see that this was being, and that was one of her reasonings. And I, I guess that, um, 
I think the fact that you see some of these insane rants on Twitter from white women yelling at uh, black people in the streets that no, 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 no. I just like I've, I've followed I followed a lot of um, Twitter conversations and a lot of times it is white people yelling at black uh, Trump supporters that they're racist, that they're, I mean, and, and it's just sometimes there becomes this, um, uh, logic divide where you just put aside, um, the insanity of that. And that's, that's something that, uh, I find very distasteful amongst some of the like regressive left, which I don't, which I don't think is most of the left. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that there are not, you know, bad people on both sides yeah yeah and, and i don't even sure think are. yeah or, or, or people that are misguided or saying the wrong thing but i'm just mm-hmm. saying generally speaking i would have much more respect for trump supporters if they literally just said look he is an idiot he's mean i think he is stirring up some of these racist tendencies and we all need to make a stand to make sure that stops and his base needs to say we won't tolerate that but that said, we voted for him and are still supporting him because right. we truly need some of these policies. And I feel like I feel like you see some. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I've heard Tucker Carlson say that a fair amount. Um, a friend of mine, she's she's not a Trump supporter, but she was on The Apprentice and she's written a fair amount um, about. And she, you know, she does not. Uh, she, she she doesn't endorse him in any way, but she talks about how he's one of the most that the dismissal of him as being an idiot is just uh foolhardy um oh he's not he's very savvy yeah but i mean you just called him you know an idiot and you said you wanted to see people you know acknowledge that and i I didn't say he was an idiot i don't think i said he was an idiot i said i think they're being idiots by not being more honest about the parts of his personality and his actions that they don't agree with yeah and I do. I mean, I'm I sure do. I do say at times he's an idiot because I think yeah. he also is. He's the most childish <laughs> human I've ever seen in my life. The president so cannot childish. be such a baby and such yeah. a most fragile ego on planet Earth. That's idiotic behavior for the. He's the most powerful person. If nothing, that's not going to give you the confidence you need. Yeah. What will, bro? It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. So right. He's an right. idiot as well. I, I'll stand by that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's also a genius. Sadly. <laughs> Cognitive dissonance. Yeah, that seems yeah. to be the name mm-hmm. of the game these days. Mm-hmm. We should we should replace e pluribus unum on our money with cognitive dissonance. Yeah, and, and, and I and I also think that Trump is a reaction to the shifting of the Overton window in terms of everything that is now culturally uh, celebrated and accepted that ten years ago would have been um, a crass punchline on TV and celebrated. And I think that people sometimes just forget what it's like to be, you know, I mean, I guess the New York times doesn't forget because they always have these like wildly sympathetic profiles of Trump supporters trying to understand how this happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that if you are some dude who grew up and it was at a completely different uh, world and you were taught every day that this is what, uh, you know, is important. And then everything shifts is dramatically like, like ER. If you watch in the first episode in, you know, 94, 
the there's there's a character they call a she-male and then you know by the end of it it's they're talking about you know transgender stuff and uh so if you're someone who just uh, grew up in an older time i think you want to you have a, a reaction like voting for trump you know because that's about is anti yeah, grasping at straws for time that has gone by. <laughs> You're right. And we're taking a, a step, a lot of steps backwards on account of that because I guess they still have enough influence. But. Well, and it's strange to me that a lot of people on the left, it's like it's this kind of um, uh, doubling down on um, things that are uh, alienating to the middle, which, you know, I respect it. Like but what? I just um, – well, uh, I would say that a lot of the, um, every week, it seems like, um, like if you were to pull up the full list of letters for, um, LGBTQ, I, um, there, there's always kind of new, uh, think pieces about um, where people have gone wrong in terms of uh, cultural appropriation. Uh, Mr. The, the author that I mentioned to you, Jordan Peterson, number one author on, on Amazon, and he is someone – the reason he became famous is because it was going to become illegal in uh, Canada if you did not use the preferred uh, gender pronoun – of um z zay and um well it just by him saying no i i I don't to me that is um forced speech and i find that um uh, fascist and uh frightening and that and his ideas his kind of centrism uh has appealed to a lot of people um but I think people, the more extreme elements of, of of the left, they write pieces, you know, just calling them a Nazi. It's like there's uh, totally, but yeah. one, but one, one side extreme does not justify the other. I agree. Just on this, on the last episode of this podcast, we, yeah. did, we did another We the People where I moderated a conversation of two on the right and two on the left. Oh yeah, and we, and we cited exactly that case in Canada. Okay, and. And we did a whole probably 20-minute discussion about if you take away his Twitter, is Trump actually doing a good job? And we mm-hmm. gave Trump a lot of props for the things that he's accomplishing, at least according to his own goals. Yeah, yeah. That's all good. Right. I just think it's incredibly dangerous for our country and incredibly disingenuous for the moral majority, for yeah. the Christian right to be abandoning all of the things they've always said are so dear to them just to get policy through if we don't hold true to our values as a nation and – let that be the most important thing that determines whether we can support somebody or not, then we're going down a very, very scary moralist place that can lead to all kinds of actual fascism and all kinds of actual repressive laws. The fact that that professor wrote an article saying he's doing all these things, and and I get it because we have bigger problems, so he's Mm -hmm. intentionally dog-whistling to racists because we also have a bigger problem of radical extremism. Right, right. We have no core anymore. We have no moral core, and it's incredibly – dangerous and that's what i think you know i've always said we we need to 
to put our foot down about some things and we can get the policies that we need under a different time, a different administration. That stuff is less important than the very core of what makes our nation nation. That all said, it has been one hour and five minutes. So we got to oh my go God. into Tanya Harding joining Dancing with the Stars. Thoughts? We're going to go rapid fire through some news stories and then get to Twitter answers in the Thunder Round. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, I, I have to say one thing in response to all what right, you just fine. said, which is basically just that I think the biggest core value is to treat other people as human beings. Yeah. Even someone as reprehensible as a racist, as a sexist, as a, as a, as a murderer, it, we have lost the ability to relate to other people as human beings. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's something I feel very strongly about. I agree, but yeah. I think that line gets blurred for me when it's incredible racists or murderers or like Nazis. I feel like they lose a little bit of their human being points. Yeah. You don't think so? I think everyone's a human being, and you I think, think if Hitler think- was found alive, he should have been like, "You're still a human, dude. You're you're a nice dude. He's not. He's a monster. He was no, no, human. no. Human, human, human doesn't mean doesn't mean uh, good. Doesn't mean nice or good. I mean, Hitler was evil. Um, but I think that uh, I just think that to me is the most dangerous line that 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 we've crossed. And I think when you're talking about uh, well, the morals, caricaturing of of people into one box or another that dehumanizes them as a general rule i agree yeah i think sure. there's a, there there's been yeah so anyway thanks for letting me say that tanya harding she is fantastic i love her yeah i guess i watched that tanya i feel like <laughs> i don't know i'm just saying something to oh, say okay, something good. yeah yeah okay, good. yeah i mean I, I guess our country's all about redemption she did order a hit basically on somebody but you know whatever <laughs> yeah well i mean answer ass <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I, I love her in the way that I love the New York Post where, you know, it's just the, uh, uh, it can be a very tacky assessment of, you know, uh, I, I have very gallows humor. So I, to me, life is just so horrifically tragic and crush <laughs> and crushing that sometimes just the absurdity of Hollywood doing something <laughs> like that. It's like you have to laugh. Otherwise you would. Just die. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And I'd be curious to see it. I mean, I'm really curious to see if they're going to, she's going to do like a miming of a knee hit oh with a pipe God. during one of her dances. I could see it happen. I have never watched that fucking show, by the I've way. I've watched a few minutes of it. I've, I've dated a couple dancers and they make you turn it on at points. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, Kendra Wilkinson divorcing Hank Basket, Channing Tatum and Jenna Duan Tatum getting a divorce. Who are these people? Should we care? I don't think so. I, I, I don't understand why people just love to, I, I think it's just that we always have to have that mean girls baseline of mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, uh, J- Jim and Jan are breaking up from high school. Everyone needs some kind of, uh, primal gossip reference mm-hmm. point. And that's why, but, but I just, I've never, that, Someone divorcing has never once made me I don't know sad who's a celebrity. I don't right. I don't get that. Right. Can we agree though that the name Basket, it's not a great name and <laughs> I feel like it's sort of divorce worthy as a name. It really is. Basket I agree with that. It's so stupid. Yeah. Couldn't be a less sexy name possible. I, I think I think names are very interesting. I think yeah. they really define you. Like I feel like I could remake myself as just this snobby southern debutante. Oh, you could, yeah. If I went from instead of saying Mandy, which is kind of like a trashy stripper name, uh, and started calling myself Amanda, which is my given right. name, and then use Pat's last name, Amanda Dixon. Oh, I f- true, but I feel like your your last name fits that bill. That's why I said. Oh it. yeah, that's true. true. It has a little bit of a regal. You so, know. It's pretty regal. <laughs> Statmiller. My God. <laughs> 
Fancy as shit. Yeah. I was no. intimidated when I came to do your podcast just from your name. I That's was like, hilarious. That's a lot going on there. Oh, my God. Um, Don Trump Jr. wore a deplorable pin at the White House after the affair news, cut off his mullet, started working out, and wore a deplorable pin. Weird time to embrace the label of deplorable when you're actually acting as a deplorable human being. You should have – Loses uh, the irony at that point. Y- you got to have uh, Melissa Stetton on your, on your podcast. Who's that? She is a funny chick. She's a writer, and she was the one who tweeted out the uh, screen grabs that were when he was. I think. I think he must have been an. I don't know. Maybe Opie and Anthony listener, and Melissa used to date Kumia, and so he hit her up in the inbox uh, related <laughs> to some bacon vagina joke, or but anyway, I feel like you guys would. Uh, have something all oh, right i there. remember yeah that. yeah it was which like also little... reminds me in your book you yeah. talk about a story you did on sydney leathers the woman yes that, that uh got got i guess you know approached in the inbox by anthony weiner mm-hmm. i've talked about this years ago on the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. she tried to get me all uh Fired reeled, up. In, reeled in via Facebook many years ago before the Anthony Weiner thing happened. Really? So she definitely was not like an innocent right, right. bystander in the thing. She was, I think she was trying hard to like troll for some dick. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I, it makes stories less credible to me when they don't include those details. Right. Sure. Like, uh, yeah. So interesting. She's a, she's a trip though. You should, uh, I'm going to just basically book your podcast for the next. That. Okay. You okay. could be my next Brian Cranston. You booked my <laughs> podcast for a minute. So really? Oh, it's it amazing. It was pretty great. He was helping me out. Um, U.S. downplays its war games with South Korea. We've had our annual war games that we always do with South Korea to prepare against North Korean attack. But because these talks are coming up with Trump and Kim Jong-un, supposedly still in May, just a month away, and Un's going on his charm offensive trying to set it up like he's invited South Korean delegates and – K-pop, which is banned, Korean pop music, it's banned in North Korea, invited really? them to do a big show for him, and he was m- m- profoundly moved by it, supposedly, and loved the performance. Did a secret trip to China and had this whole delegation there, took a train to China. He's really setting it up like he's a good guy now, and, and in hopes the talks will come off well, the U.S. is still having the war games, but not televising any clips of them, not videotaping them, just kind of keep it low-key war games. What's a good thing to read up on that? Because I feel like that is an area that I, except for, I think... I mean, I think I think the most up on that I am is like Dennis Rodman's Twitter about it, you know, which is just not. <laughs> I hope well Trump brings Rodman to that meeting. <laughs> he really should because it's a great person to make the intro. Yeah, friend of both of them. Yeah, it's true. If Rodman ends up with a Nobel Peace Prize, it would be the greatest Hilarious. twist in history ever yeah, possible. Perfect. But all you have to really know is that it's three hundred thousand North Korean troops and eleven thousand American troops. Wow. Um, so they got more than us, but they got, they're living there and it's us just kind of heading over there. Um, Facebook released that it actually wasn't 50 million people's data that was breached by the Cambridge Analytica breach. It was 87 million now. Okay. I'm lucky that I How- sold one fourth of my Facebook stock. I got to sell the rest of it ASAP. It's going to keep dropping. Wow. What, it, what, what was it at a time and what is it now? The stock? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the exact amount. I, if it's, I think it's a hundred and, I don't. The high was maybe like one hundred and seventy four dollars a few weeks ago. Now it's down one hundred and fifty three dollars. Okay. like that. It's dropping a pretty big percentage. Yeah. That's what is that like nine percent value loss or something? I, I have noticed uh, posts initially debating getting off of the site and then follow through. Like I've seen people who are really 
Yeah, journalists and things like that. I don't hate the idea. I think Facebook has really made a lot of bad choices. They've been burying me in their algorithms. I don't even know why I'm still posting. Like I got crazy amounts of thousands of followers. I'm posting things that are getting three likes. There's no way they're showing it to any percentage of my people. I don't understand. Is that – I mean I feel like part of that must be just – it's like Yelp where it's the mafia. You know, if you want your restaurant to be well-reviewed, you got to pay. And with Facebook, mm-hmm. I've done Facebook ads for my Same. stuff. So I and, think once you start paying, then they realize that right. you're going to pay and they won't give your post to anybody. Yeah. I think it was almost a mistake to ever pay in the first place. Uh, but I, do, I don't know. You know but, I go to yeah. cities, I take out hundreds of dollars of Facebook ads trying yeah. to get the word out. So yeah. For my tour, which, by the way, is coming to the Comedy Store. I'll be doing a quick set of new material this Saturday, April 7th. Oh, nice. Uh, 10.30 p.m. And then I'll be at Bo- at Laugh Boston, April 12 through 14. We the People, April 24th, doing another one of those, the Hollywood Improv. That'll be a podcast a few days after that at the Hollywood Improv. Um, wash- you can get tickets at improv.com or link on my Twitter. Washington, D.C., I'll be at the Draft House, May 4th through 5th. San Diego Comedy Store, May 25 through 27. With special guest Rick Glassman featuring for me all weekend. Cool. Uh, Dallas, Texas, July 12th and 13th at Hyenas and Plano, Texas, July 14th at Hyenas. Tickets to all of it at Glebe.com. Anything you'd like to plug other than follow you at Mandy, S-T-A-D-T, and buy Unwifeable, your incredibly engaging book. Oh, thanks. With so many insights to humanity with so much juicy gossip in it that it's a great combination <laughs> of both. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um. Well, so you can get a copy at – unwifeablebook.com and thank you so much for asking such provoking questions that force me to justify my existence and that I'm not just yeah I appreciate that so I like to get deep on this thing it's good it's good now you say that you know Facebook's algorithm is, is you know it's like the mafia they're trying to like only put out content that they want another news story from this week is that a terrible story, but yeah, the, the YouTube, YouTube shooter, yeah. her name was Nassim uh, something. I don't know. Her, I'll have her last name somewhere here. I should probably say it. So I, Nass- did, did she get Nassim de- Agdam. Did she get demonetized or yeah, something? Yeah, she got demonetized by, oh, by YouTube. my God. And also was claiming – like she had certain videos that – not that anything would justify gun violence. Yeah, but of course. She had some videos had like 900,000 views and she made like 10 cents on it. And then some of her more extreme – Post, she felt as though YouTube was uh, taking them down based on her freedom of speech, and she was very just angry. She was a disgruntled user and went there and shot three people at Facebook headquarters in San Bernardino. I was recently there for a tour. Wow! In front of a slide down the middle of the place, like it's a fun-loving place to, yeah, to yeah. work. And um, luckily, no one is dead thus far. One person in critical condition, but she killed herself. Um, Obviously, nothing justifies that. It's just a news story I'm sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, it is pretty intense when you realize the responsibility these social networks have. They have people's livelihoods tied to them. Wow. They need to make sure that they are not screwing people because you're going to get a lot of angry people. I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anyone, which is that I almost – this will give you insight into me as a journalist. I almost ruined someone's life um, because – he was some family YouTuber guy and I found some old video and I knew that I could have reported it in a way that would just, you know, string him up as being that he had done some uh, rap video that had very, you know, outrageous uh, lyrics. And I thought about it and I just, I thought, 
if there's a scale of good and evil, this guy who has all these kids and does family YouTube videos, I don't think his evil justifies what the impact of an article sure. would do. And uh, so I didn't do it. Well, it's nice of you to have the restraint there. Also, I feel like, you know, I'm, I rap oftentimes. Yeah, you say shit. Rap is just so misogynistic in its nature that right, you right. kind of fill the lines with just like horrible misogynistic lyrics. It doesn't mean it's what you believe. It's just you're kind of like filling a trope in the moment. You're playing a character. It's like right. even on this podcast, you and I have – Use phrases like whore and that stupid what? bitch and you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. things that we don't mean that for all of the social weight yeah. of it. We're just speaking with, you know, shorthand and being flippant as comedians and as funny people. It doesn't it would be the next level of of horrible persecution of free speech if we right. start trying to pin people up because of things they've said. Even this podcast for six years, you know, I've tried to go on the record for six years trying to have intelligent conversations in a way that would make younger people engage in the news and people who don't usually watch the news and make it not so highbrow. So I intentionally yeah. all the time talk dirty and share sexual stories and have on guests that will join me in that. And then I still try to talk about morals and politics. Sure. I don't think those two are incongruous as long as you're not espousing behavior that's immoral. You're going to sometimes say fucked up things and phrase things in aggressive yeah. ways. I think that's just good or not. It's a fact of our culture these days. You Definitely. have to be kind of extreme to – even get people's ears to perk up. Oh, yeah. Now I'm saying, motherfuckers. <laughs> now I'm saying. Woo! That, that, that's something that really turns me off about uh, a trend in reporting the last couple of years, kind of starting with Daniel uh, Tosh when he made the uh, mm. joke about how, how funny would it be if uh, that chick got, like, you know, uh, raped right here or whatever, is that uh, more and more you see things that comedians say uh, or even someone being funny uh, and failing maybe, but right. you see that being reported without any context right. that the person was engaging in attempted humor. Right. And it, it, it really turns my stomach. I think it's so disingenuous when, when media doesn't include that true, as, as, as context. Those jokes were, were not cool, but to try to like take down a career for it when he's making in the moment. I've many times made jokes in the moment that – you're just certain I'll say an extreme thing. I know for a fact the person I'm even talking to will not take it badly. It's just to be as extreme as possible to be silly, to be yeah. comedic. And then if that's not included in the story, it really is witch hunting and that's super not cool. Agreed on 100% on that. <laughs> um, and our last story before we – well, two quick last things. Trump is sending our troops to the border to protect the border um, until we can build a wall. It's going to use troops on the border. I personally don't even care about that. Like why not? If the troops don't have an assignment right now of active protection, why not? Do what you want to do to protect the border. I actually sort of like it more than building a wall because it's currently people that are under salary and employed and it's not going to be an expenditure of so many extra billions of dollars to build a wall that's going to be ineffective. I just don't see that wall ever happening. You know, I oh, think yeah, that's, that wall's not gonna I think happening. that's just, I think that was just pandering and it's just, and it was the hallmark of his campaign. Yeah. Yeah. And pa Mexico pandering definitely is not paying for pandering it. works. It does. It's very effective. I, do, I, do, I don't know. I just kind of wish you would get on board with me and your husband who wanted to build this wall and keep our country safe. You know, <laughs> maybe you'll come on board the Trump train at some point. Hashtag MAGA. Hashtag MAGA. It is good. It is good for people to go to different kinds of Twitter and to not well, just not just be in their uh, bubble. Yeah, 
you have to, and it makes you mad. And I, I'm tempted to unfollow. I never unfollow in those situations. If you want to hear the full spectrum, for sure. Yeah. Um, Kim Kardashian has a beauty clause in her will that when she dies, they must, or even if she's incapacitated, they must keep her hair, nails, and makeup on point at all times. Nice. To me, that is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. She wants to literally be like a wax figurine of herself. Why don't they just replace her with – pull the plug and replace her with a wax figurine? Be I, much cheaper. I think she has a wonderful sense of humor about how absurd life is. That's fair. And that is – it's giving people something to – talk about but right? it's true and it's in her will <laughs> that's crazy. not just a that's statement crazy. that is in her damn will yeah i, I want to i'm going to make a will that's something really nutty because be uh fun. yeah no, i do like her overall i think she has a decent sense of humor about the stuff but you know that family i feel like 50 percent has some has some decent things to bring 47 percent decent things brought to society and 53 percent really shitty things i just i honestly have never i always think of the Artie lang joke about you know he just wants to know where uh, the bloody knife was, you know, <laughs> like he doesn't give a shit about the Kardashian. Like, that's how I feel. I've never I, I love watching trash reality TV as much as the next person. But the Kardashians has never hooked me. I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, it's time to check in with the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Glebe Squad, <laughs> the be Glebers in all of us, uh, the Glebe Nation, the Glebe Mob. It is time to check in with the Friends of Benefits, the Brain Trust. Time for Twitter answers. I asked the Brain Trust, what is your worst or weirdest thing that has happened on a date or hookup? Something they said or did in honor of you being here, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Our old friend Danielle Sepulver is at LSEP, yes. E-L-L-E-S-E-P, wrote, the guy admitted he didn't know my name. Who, uh, I, well, when on I saw date, that, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. I guess people are too hung up on their names. <laughs> I really think people care too much. It's one syllable or two that you said a long time ago at the very beginning of meeting somebody. What if someone called you Bon? I would like that. Ben. You call me Bon Bon. I don't mind. Listen, Bun. as long as you clearly are recognizing who the person is, the people are way too tied to their name. People get upset if you misspell their names. Right, relax for right, a second. Right, right. I haven't seen your name in print, Mark with a C. Relax. Who cares? Well, it depends on where you are in the date. And I right. think that if you... If it's date two or three, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Date one? I don't know. You don't have the name memorized My yet. little trick for that when I... Because I'm not very good with names is I say when someone else is nearby even if it's a, a waiter or a homeless person i'll say do you two know each other oh, and then too. let the them the yeah best. yeah and it's then a kind good of trick. Like, turn your head halfway away so it looks like you're distracted <laughs> so then you listen to what they're saying my other great trick i say if you just one-on-one you need the name it's my favorite thing to do i go what's your full name it's the best and they say their first and last name and then i repeat the last good. name back that is good it yeah. works pretty well yeah um Lydian Miller at Lydian's Lens says, I, my friends called me sweatpants for months after this. We worked together at a restaurant that rhymes with Crapplebee's. He was a cook. I was a waitress. McDonald's? <laughs> He'd get me high in the cooler. Great place to get high in, in restaurants, by the way. Um, he asked me to pay for us, and he would pay me back on Friday when he got paid and to pick him up. We went to eat, came back to his place, smoked a bowl, lay down on his couch to watch TV. His hand never went down my shirt. He didn't kiss me. No grinding going on. All of a sudden, I feel him convulse. He awkwardly gets up and leaves the room, comes back in three minutes. 
That is a beautiful love story. That came right based there. on nothing, just having a woman near him. That is so. There's something very sweet and innocent. It is kind of about beautiful. that. Yeah, Almost romantic on the guy's part. <laughs> I didn't want to touch you. I was very attracted to you. I couldn't control myself, so I just kind of did it on my own and kept quiet about he, it. She might have killed the guy if she would yeah. have just put her hand on his leg. True. He would have just had a massive. Yeah. MI, which is myocardial infarction. I've watched okay. 15 seasons of ER. So. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Speak the lingo. I like No that. big deal. I like that. You watched it with barely focusing on it in the background. <laughs> um, I feel like maybe this is the one. She should reach back out to this guy and see if there could be a future there. Maybe uh, she could train his penis to s- slow the hell down. Yeah. What is it you just think of, um, you know. Your grandma playing baseball? Or yeah, something? I think that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Your grandma playing baseball. <laughs> I like to combine the two best. I don't know. By the way, whoever says that, I'm sorry. You're supposed to keep an erection when thinking about your grandma. You're supposed to. That would make me lose my erection in, instantly. <laughs> that is just yeah. That's you're putting yourself in a really bad situation. You really got to find a real thin line, keeping it but not finishing. <laughs> well, because you develop these. That's why, like, if someone the first time they saw a naked woman mm-hmm. and they were playing with Play-Doh, it's like they're the adult who every time before sex has to bring out the Play-Doh. In order to get a, you right. know, we have such like weird Pavlovian yeah, associations. Yeah. Yeah. People's sex lives are very interesting. Yeah. That's why my new book is called Unhusbandable. And I would like to share all of my personal stories. Uh, sadly, at the moment, it's more true for me than it is for you. You could call it, um, un 16 monthable. Ooh. It's catchy. It hurts. It's catchy. Catchy, but hurts. <laughs> at everybody, Ska says, went to a dinner near my house at midnight and ate egg sandwiches in total silence. Left and never spoke again. That was my favorite one. I thought that oh, was yeah. hilarious. Why are people so bad at speaking at dinner? A lot of people just do not want to talk or aren't a good conversationalist. But yeah. to me, that's like the whole way you connect to somebody. How much eye staring can you do? If you don't have an intellectual connection on whatever intellectual or dumb level it is, but you're not talking, how do you know if you like the person? I don't know. I guess. It's really hard for people, though. It really and is. And I used to be. I, used I to guess be, we're talkers. We're I, podcasts, for Christ's sake. Yeah. I used to I used to be, like, really, really shy. So those are my people. Uh, I, I always feel a strong connection to mm-hmm. people who are way too in their heads. Right. But – it's, like I respect it. It's just hard for me to connect to it. Yeah, you just have to almost make them drop acid or something. This has been the theme for you in the podcast. I like acid. That a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that. Rebecca Blanton at Auntie Vice says, "Chick picked me up for a first date. Surprised me with concert tickets. Yanni, yikes! Then picked up her. Mo- that was what the tweet says. Not my own personal opinion. Yeah, right, right, then right. Then picked up her mom to join us. Seats were obscured view. Went back to her mom's after show for fondue and melted Velveeta and Wonder Bread." That's the weirdest. Pretty shitty date. Yeah. Super bad. I Why guess. would you bring your mom? I mean, that's just, that's, that's. Open for three way, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Terrible. I'm sorry I said that. See, that's a kind of example of jokes that I make on the podcast to make people laugh. <laughs> right. I, if somebody judged me on the morality of that statement, obviously I'm joking. Yeah, it's just, but, uh, yeah. Lighten up. People who didn't actually complain about <laughs> it, but I'm envisioning in my own head. Yeah. Our last Twitter answer, Jessica Hess at Jessica Hess 10. Within the first five minutes, a date asked me, what's your favorite poison? And he actually meant poison, not cute favorite drink question. He then said he thought he was autistic but not diagnosed due to being Canadian. And after – I guess they have a low diagnosis right there. And after 45 minutes, told me marriage was in the cards. Wow. Um, I think no. I dated that guy. <laughs> he He – there was a guy who once – 
just completely ruined it. It had been an okay date, but then he just, he leaned in for what I thought was a kiss and he bit me on the cheek. And I, I was just, what are you doing? And then he said, Oh, are, are, are you into tonguing? Like regular Midwestern tonguing? What does that even mean? I have no idea. I'm curious he, to he find was, out. He now. had a very high level professional job and, uh, he then sent me a follow up email about the date and then sent a corrected version that he had copy edited and said, read this one instead. Like he kept sending me corrected versions of the follow up and, uh, they seem like Seems like the same person as that guy. So. Dang, a lot of people out there do not know how to relate to people. I mean, I'm sometimes guilty when I like somebody, but over communicating for sure. Yeah. And like letting your lo- feelings on the line too fast. And right. Email. Once I turn, once I turn to email, when I reply to a text with an email, it's never a good move. But. Well, so wait, what is the most intimate? Extreme. What's the ranking? I think, I think texting e- is most. I think email is the most intimate because oh, okay. you're shifting to writing a letter now. Like you're really pouring your thoughts out instead of like just oh. flippantly replying. But see, you can ignore it. With text, you have to deal with it right away. That is true. But yeah. when you when you deal with it, there's a lot to deal with sometimes. Oh, I see. I see. You know what I mean? So you write like epic, long – Yeah, like wouldn't like, actually getting a letter in the mail be the most intense? Like, whoa, we've been on three dates. This man that wrote me be, a letter. See, that would be a way to stand out actually. That would but get you – depends that would the content. You, that would get you a Sunday Styles piece in the New York Times if you uh, were known around town as the, the letter writer, you know? I love that you're always looking for your story angle. This is beautiful. <laughs> Well, it's just I, I like to, you know, give people cheap marketing hooks that they can use. I could use some of those, actually. So, yeah. Let's yeah. talk off off recording about some of that. Okay, cool. Everybody, please get Unwifeable. It's a very good book. Thank you. Unwifeablebook.com. Thanks so much for having it me. It flew by I to read, honestly. It, it was yeah, just it was one of the fastest. I'm a slow reader, and it flew by. Thank you for being here. Thanks. And uh, best of luck with the book. Thank you. All of you, until last week, next week, this has been Last Week on Earth. My mama don't like you and she likes everyone And I never like to admit that I was wrong And I've been so caught up in my job Didn't see what's going on but now I know I'm better sleeping on my own Cause if you like the way you look that much Oh baby you should go and love yourself This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.